Well, it's been a long time between drinks, but welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Fence. And last time we spoke to our distinguished guest, we were happy yet sad at the end of the Socceroos World Cup campaign after a a thrilling loss to Argentina, the eventual world champions. But now we're back with a really big moment in Australian football. And joining me today, Ben Smith from the West Australian. How are you? Hello, Ben from Tasmania. How are you doing? No, 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 it's Ben from New South Wales who lives in Tasmania, please. Okay. Uh, so it's not Ben from Tasmania who formerly lived in New South Wales? Yeah, I guess that works too. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I mean... I, I did think after Origin you would be trying to shed your... <laughs> and, uh... Oh, please. I'm not that fair weather. Do you, do you get Origin, though? No, of course not. No one gets Origin apart from the Queenslanders. Well, definitely not Tasmanians. Absolutely not, no. The, the, the biggest state of origin in Tasmania is Cascade or Bogues. Oh, are you a Cascade or Bogues man? It's completely based on whether you live in the north or the south, so I am staunchly Cascade. Ooh, interesting. I don't think I've ever had Bogues. I've definitely have had Cascade before. I mean, yeah, it's just the Cascade breweries in Hobart, the Bogues breweries in Launceston. It's just how it goes. Does, uh, does a Bogues brewery get beer? I mean, I don't mind Bogues, but <laughs> no, for the, for all my brothers and sisters out there doing it tough in the South, uh, no, Bogues does not, Cascade gets beer. And uh, look, if you go to the Cascade Brewery, there's a chance you'll see David Boone there, so. Ooh, sign me up. <laughs> I, I mean, I, there have been first-hand reports. We're getting off topic. <laughs> I mean, I could go on about Tas- like esoteric Tasmanian references all day, but quite possibly the biggest moment in Australian football since, well, it's hard to judge because it is kind of on a different plane to the World Cup, but Ange Postacoglu becomes, obviously, I feel like this goes without saying, the first Australian to manage in the Premier League. And it's just, if depending on where you look, but from a local point of view, there is just nothing but, aside from the, like, love Ange but hate Tottenham point of views, which I've seen a lot of, including my own, um, this is just such a, a huge occasion. I can't even wrap my head around it. Yeah, it just... Uh, it it does feel like a real moment in time. Um, the way it's come about as well, like two years ago, Celtic fans were, uh, you know, wondering who the hell this Ange guy was, were kind of sneering, looking down their nose at him. Uh, it was really funny, actually. I had some Celtic fan in my mentions on Twitter recently trying to tell me that most of the Celtic fans were supportive of Ange. They just didn't agree with the board. Uh, nah. My room. And I was like, no, we remember two years ago very differently, my friend. <laughs> I was like, no, we, we have receipts. We have Alan Brazil <laughs> on radio like, thinking it was the funniest thing of all time. And Celtic fans, like, they weren't that nasty about it, but they were, like, pretty, like, this is a backwards move for the club. Who is this guy? He's done nothing. Like Australian, like soccer Twitter is undefeated and we kept the receipts. Um, <laughs> you know, and look, Celtic fans, it's great that you adopted him. It's awesome that he's a cult hero at Parkhead now. Um, I've got nothing but like respect for Celtic. I've been to a Celtic game. I like Celtic. But like, let's let's admit, two years ago, most of you were calling for Andrew's head before he'd even begun, begun his uh, reign of... Uh, I was going to say terror, but it's not really terror. His reign of terror on uh, the blue side of Glasgow, shall we say. Yeah, well, it depends on who you ask. Um, yeah. 
I mean, even in one of his obviously now what would prove to be final speeches or uh, interviews as Celtic manager, he alludes to the the fact that when he was appointed, yeah, he was a joke. And it's obviously, you know, very perceptive, but you'd have to be pretty blind to not have seen it, the negative reaction at the time. I mean, this is a guy who's, if you look at his career path, he's cut his teeth in such challenging, you know, quality football environments like, you know, the A-League and the J-League. And if you consider the nature of European football, if you show just anyone a, a, a fan of any club in like the top five or six leagues in Europe, this untitled resume of this this guy's coming to our club, forget Celtic for a moment, just any club. This guy's coming here. He's won the, he's won two titles, or titles at uh, two different clubs. It, Brisbane Raw, where's that? And uh, uh, Yokohama Marinos, where, where's that? And like, you're expecting me to trust this guy to come in. Like, we're in Europe. We're not in Asia. How dare you even associate us with this? So the fact that that has turned around from where he was two years ago to where he was, you know, 15 years ago in Melbourne, you know, getting relegated or on the brink of relegation with his NPL side to now managing a top, I don't want to call Tottenham a top six club, but they unfortunately are a top six club in the Premier League. It's just such a wild, meteoric rise. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's done it his way as well, which is, I think, one of the most important things. Like, he's been every, all, you know, each and every one of the sides that he's coached have had that distinct Ange feel about them where they're going to press high, they're going to play attacking football, you know, almost to a fault. They're going to try to play out from the back at every single opportunity. You know, he's, you know, I kind of wrote about this today um, at work, but, you know, his teams are like, you know, you know an Ange team when you see one, you know, Bale, you know, to, he's been, um, you know, stubborn to a fault at times tactically, but, you know, he, he sticks to his guns. He'll always stick to his principle. And I think after the last, you know, couple of few years where Tottenham have had Conte and Mourinho as coaches and it's just been dour football. Like, it hasn't been fun to watch. I think bringing Ange in where, you know, you know, he doesn't have a resume either of those two guys have. But he's going to get them attacking. He's going to get them pressing high. He's going to get them playing out from the back. He's going to get them moving the, the ball fast, uh, you know, playing forward. Uh, he doesn't like backwards passes. Uh, and man, <laughs> man, well and truly after my own heart. Uh, and, yeah, um, I think it's going to be wonderful. I think, uh, you know, just to have an Australian coach in the Premier League, um, you know, and, you know, you read stories from, like, Australian players talking about how, oh, like, we, you know, we'll go to Europe and, like, people don't take Australians seriously as footballers. Like, this, it's the same for managers as we saw with Ange, but the fact that he's now ascended to, you know, the, to Tottenham, who, you know, love them or hate them, uh, they are one of the bigger clubs in England, but, you know, second, second or third biggest club in London. I forgot Chelsea existed for a second. How dare you? <laughs> um, I actually forgot you were a Chelsea fan until I mentioned that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, they... It's not important. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, that's what Chelsea said about playing football last year as well. Shut up. Um, yeah, no, he, you know, Ange is Ange. You know, he's going to have Tottenham playing the Ange way. And, you know, as I said today, it might take a bit of time, but, you know, compared to, you know, Mourinho or Conte, where everything was like very, you know, very rigid and very mechanical, 
he's going to be just like so fluid by comparison. I think that's like exactly what they need. They need someone who is going to, you know, be a supercharged, but they don't need another, like, you know, meticulously, um, you know, de- defensive mastermind because I think the Tottenham fans are just sick of that, to be honest. Yeah, and you mentioned the Ange way and how he contrasts the styles of uh, Mourinho and Conte before him, his predecessors. It's such a wild list of predecessors as well. And Pochettino, you throw him in there as well. Yeah. Just those three. But you mentioned time, and that's kind of the key aspect in everything, in, in all the teams Ange has had in his career, even down to the national team which is probably why he didn't quite work out as Socceroos coach, because you just don't have that time to implement the old systems as coach of the national team, where, where uh, instead of you know being around the guys every day from a club level. But we saw it at the start of his Celtic tenure. The results weren't there. You know, there, there, there were a few tough losses and dour draws, and, you know, as players got used to his style, and the, the noise was inevitably starting. It was always there straight away. It, was, it never really left until... You know, the results started turning, but, you know, I've got someone I know who goes for Rangers, and every time Celtic would lose early on, he'd tag me and go, ah, oh, mate, your boy Ange, because he's not, he's not Australian. So you just go, your boy Ange, like, what's this guy doing? But importantly, got given that time, and then obviously the results turn around, and that there's proof that his system works at all levels he's been at so far from a club basis. But this yeah. is Tottenham. This is the Premier League. As we know, time doesn't really exist at that level. And I just wonder what you think. Obviously, it's going to take time, and we'll get to Tottenham's squad in a second, but just how long do you... Because he's not going to get the same grace period, I think, that he got at Celtic, which wasn't that long anyway. But I think this is a different kettle of fish. I just wonder how long he's going to get before it inevitably starts turning on him, if he starts off, you know with like five or six wins out of his first 12 or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, like, I think every stop he's had, like, you look at Brisbane, he had that, he kind of came in that first season and it was a very slow process, kind of all about embedding kind of the way he wanted to play uh, his football and imbuing the team with that sensibility. And then, you know, Milton Victory, you know, when he moved to them, uh, they made the finals, they they were playing... They were contenders that year, but they never quite, um, they weren't quite, it wasn't quite Brisbane, you know, it wasn't quite Rosalino just yet. Um, The national team actually, like, he actually had a pretty good start to life in the national team because he, you know, one of his first jobs was that 2014 World Cup, which is actually one of my favourite soccer's performances because it was a pretty nothingy squad and Ange was just like, I don't care, we're going to go out there and we're going to take the game to Chile and the Netherlands and Spain and, you know, we shipped nine goals, but, you know, we scored, we also scored three. Like, if you told people before the tournament, Australia going to score three goals across three games against Chile, Spain. Goal of the tournament, in some people's yeah, eyes too. Goal of the tournament and, and we, you know, we had chances to win that game against the Netherlands as well. It remains a big kind of what if. Um, but the big thing I took from that tournament was just the fact that, you know, it wasn't a technically refined Australian team, but they just wanted to attack at every given opportunity. And, you know, we got exploited, but at least we, you know, we got exploited trying to take the game to the opposition rather than being exploited, sitting back and, like, trying to bunker down and defend uh, for 90 minutes. Um, you know, when he was at Yokohama, I think he finished 12th his first season and then won the league the second season. 
and Celtic, you know, by actually, I was worried that he would get sacked like six months into Celtic because I felt he needed about time, but instead he, you know, he just won the league. So, um, <laughs> twice. Yeah, twice. Five, five trophies in two years. Uh, pretty good record, I think. Uh, I'm no I'm no expert, but uh, I think that's pretty good. Um, so the question, as you say, is how long is he going to get Tottenham? I think. I mean, he's got a two-year window with an option for a third. So I think the first year is not just a, it's not wouldn't say as a write-off, but I think it's a, that first year is house about, money. Yeah, he's playing with house money a bit, but he also needs to show that he knows how to use that house money, and so he can get a return down the line. He needs to there needs to be some sort of progress like throughout the season. I think um, some tangible signs that he is the man to lead Tottenham forward, and you know I think. I don't. I think Tottenham would be stupid to fire him within a year, unless like a incredible coach was just kind of sitting waiting available, and they wanted to make a move on him. But I think um, you know, I think there is a belief after the last two years Ange had at Celtic that you know they've seen how good he got that Celtic team playing. They were absolutely humming uh, at times, and you know, even against Real Madrid at home, I know they lost 3-0, but they were in that game, they were playing decent football, um, you know, they should have, uh, they had a gilt-edge chance to equalise just after half-time, and then they inevitably ran out of legs because they were pressing high the entire game and Madrid just kind of slowly, you know, bided their time and what, took their chances when they presented them and uh, ran over top of them in the end, but you know, I, I do have a lot of belief that you know, it is a bit of a left field. I think Tottenham, the Tottenham board will recognise it's a somewhat left field appointment in terms of it's not a big name that Tottenham fans wanted. So they might give him more time because of the fact that they, you know, I'm hoping that they recognise that he is a coach that needs time to, you know, impart his ways. Yeah, and speaking of that house money, I think it's also important to look at the squad he's walking into at Tottenham with all the changes that are rumoured to be afoot there and, you know, historically outside of, I guess, the uh, the immediate summer where they sold Gareth Bale for a King's Ransom and then spent it all on maybe the worst collection of players you've ever seen. Um, you know, Daniel Levy and the Tottenham Boffins aren't necessarily known as huge spenders or huge backers. And then you look at, well, is Harry Kane going to be there? You know, there's obviously the, the obvious Madrid links now that Benzema's off to Saudi, um, you know, and then the, the rest of the squad kind of falls in around that. So I just wonder what kind of squad he's walking. If he has Harry Kane, then that's a great start, but I don't think he's going to. So then where do they go from there? Yeah, the, uh, the Kane domino is a really interesting one. So, uh, you know, obviously uh, the fact Benzema's leaving is a huge loss to Real Madrid. Um, you know, he's been such a good player down the years for them. And, um, you know, I don't think any Tottenham fan would begrudge Kane uh, going. It felt like two years ago he was, like, on his way out. He was going to Man United or Man City. I mean, it just never eventuated. And now it's kind of like... It was, I was for, a while, for a while, it was like, well, where is he actually going to go? Because Man United have Marcus Rashford and Chelsea have... 
He wasn't going to go to Chelsea. Well, that's the thing. He wasn't going to go to Chelsea because they're cross-town rivals. He was never going to Arsenal. Man City had Haaland. Well, two years um, ago, Chelsea had brought in Lukaku as well, so... That's right, yeah. That's right, yeah. Oh, I forget how many spells he's had, Batman has had at Chelsea. It's just uh, two. Calm down. It feels like at least three, though. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Kane's great, but... Um, you know, in that high-pressing system that Ange likes to have, I think Kane is 29, 30 now, so, you know, he's still got a couple of years left at his peak. Uh, he's probably not, in terms of, he's not a striker, he's not like a cyclone of a striker, as I like to call them, where they're just, you know, running for 90 minutes full stop. He's the sort of guy who likes to, you know, he's, he's very good with his movement, and he's very, you know, good at opening up, you know, passing lanes for other players and whatnot. Um, you know, he's excellent with the ball at his feet as well, you know, whether he's shooting or passing. Um, so, you know, if he does keep Kane, how he integrates him into that system uh, is going to be interesting because he's not typically the sort of striker that Ange loves to work with, but he's a world-class striker. So, you know, there's a part of me which thinks if he does leave, it's not actually the worst situation for Ange because then he can go out and get a striker who maybe fits his system a bit better. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see. I kind of feel like Kane might be intrigued enough to stay. It'd be intri- it's going to be a very interesting, you know, pre-season and off-season for Tottenham. Uh, just how seriously Kane wants to leave, you know, what he, you know, whether he wants to work with Ange or not. Because um, I honestly don't have, really have a feel for it. Um, it was a bit Ange stuff that seems to have kind of come about quite quickly. Um, and so I think there's still a lot of, you know, Tottenham players who won't have a feel for who he is and, you know, might benefit from a pre-season under him to kind of see what he's about. Um, and Kane's certainly in that category. Yeah, the entire Spurs front line, and I want to focus on their front line because I think that's the most important part of the Spurs team. It's the most... Um, it's where all their real big names lie and it's where I think Ange can do some of his best work. But outside of Kane, you've got, uh, you know, Son, who's not getting any younger. I think he's about 30 as well now. Uh, you've got, I mean, it's still quality, but you've got to start asking some questions about the aging and how long he has left. But I think Son is probably a more, like he seems like a typical Ange player with his movement and his, yeah, uh, what, sure. what did you call it? Cyclone? Uh, it's like a hurricane. Like he just kind of buzzes around. And So Harry Kane is not a hurricane. No, he's, he's, he's the, the hurricane, but he's not a hurricane. But, yeah, so you've got Son, who I think could be a typical Ange player. You've got uh, Kulisevsky, who's still on loan from Juventus. Don't really know what's happening with him. I, is his, I think his loan's still another year. I'm not entirely it's sure. He's had about, like, 10 Tottenham players. Don't really know what's happening with him. <laughs> but then also Richarlison, who I saw, a qu- I saw a quality stat on Richarlison where it was he scored one... I think was, he scored one goal this season. I'll have to double-check this. But the th- he scored one goal and ripped his shirt off three times or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one goal. One goal and about four yellow cards for celebrations. So, I mean, that the, the whole Tottenham front line, I don't think there's going to be mass changes of foot. I think they'll probably keep, you know, at least three of those guys. I'm not suggesting it's going to be a, a mass overhaul, but there's a lot of question marks, I guess, how... Because on paper, those three guys outside of Kane, they all seem like pretty quintessential Ange players. So I'd like to see how he can use... And I've never been the biggest Richarlison guy, but he obviously had a pretty quiet season statistically. I think he still had an all right season overall, but when you measure by goals, probably not the season he would have wanted his first season 
at Tottenham. So I think he's a really interesting one. I want to see how Ange uses him going forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like you touched on, Son for me is just going to be, you know, I, like you say, I think he's a perfect Ange player. Um, I do like Rodrigo uh, Bentancur as well. He's someone I kind of quite like for look of, you know, have, you know when I do watch him, that often, uh, he stands out. Uh, I think someone like a Ryan Stessingong as well. You know, it's not one of those kind of younger players who hasn't really hit their potential, but we, that some people maybe tip them to reach. Uh, he's someone that could, uh, you know, uh, learn from Ange a bit. Uh, you know, I think Ben Davies will actually work out. You know, he's again, he's the sort of player who I think could be in line for a good season under Ange. Um, There's a really good tweet uh, yesterday where someone was like, oh, Pierre. Emil Hoiberg is going to love playing with Ange and someone just responded with that video of Ange yelling at the Celtic players to stop passing the ball backwards. Because <laughs> um, that is, you know, Hoiberg is, you know, it's not a bad way. He just likes to pass the ball sideways and backwards a lot and doesn't really link up with the attack And uh, unless he's on the counter-attack and he can just hit long balls, you know, into the channels for, you know, the wingers to chase. But in terms of, you know, build up, steady build-up play and kind of controlling midfield. He's not a player who I think is going to um, dominate. Who is, or he's not a player who I think fits that certain Ange, you know, mould. But then again, you know, he's Ange has worked with Aaron Moy, who I think is kind of, you know, he's a very aesthetically pleasing passer of a ball, but it's just the direction of his passes which kind of uh, leaves something to be desired. He doesn't really, you know, he has a lot of technical talent, Aaron Moy. Um, but maybe doesn't his awareness, in-game awareness maybe isn't the best. So I don't know. Like, and Ange has worked with him twice. You know, I, he's not someone I would consider a typical Ange player, except that Ange has gone out and signed him um, for Celtic after he, you know, played under him for the national team. So, you know, I think there's hope for anyone. I think everyone at Spurs will have a blank canvas. There won't be any sacred cows, and and Ange will just kind of, you know, assess the situation and give everyone a, a clean slate if they want it. Yeah, and I mean, well, are you suggesting then that Aaron Moy is going to come play for Tottenham? I'm not not suggesting that. <laughs> uh, yeah, P- Pacey Pearlie. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The, uh, I, actually, is he allowed to wear, like, all white just with his skin completely? Oh. <laughs> and he's, like, at his ball, like, the fact he's bald. Like, I know I'm pasty white, but he makes me look somewhat tanned. It could be a confusion, you know, a bit of nudity, maybe after the watershed, I'm not yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, there's um, it some serious graphic images every time you watch, uh, watch Tottenham play. That's just it, defending. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just having a, a scroll through some rumours now, just trying to get, I guess, caught up with what the uh, the ITKs are saying. And a name that's popping up to me is James Madison, obviously now relegated with Leicester. He doesn't seem like a championship player. So I think that could be a really interesting signing if Tottenham pulled that one off because he is kind of that that linking central midfielder maybe a bit further forward than where Morley and Hoiberg play, but definitely someone who does like to go forward and has that quality. Yeah, um, for sure. And that is, um, you know, Madison, yeah, like you say, relegated with Leicester is going to be a bit of a, a race for his services. And 
Um, you know, he's very technically good, you know, swashbuckling a bit. Um, you know, he's someone I think might fit Angie's system. Um, it, I, I'm actually really interested to see whether he, you know, brings over a, you know, a Kyogo or a Hatate from Japan or, you know, a Day Zenmaida from, uh, from Celtic, you know, with three Japanese players he signed because they were awesome, you know, playing up front for Celtic and whether he'll kind of look to sign one or two of them, I, you know, is going to be intriguing. I don't know how the Celtic fans would feel about and returning and just like saying, sorry, I forgot my stuff and just picking up Kyogo and walking to North London with him. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, he's someone, you know, Kyogo especially, and I'm a big fan of uh, Maida as well. Uh, I think they're two fantastic players and, you know, they're definitely Premier League quality. Yeah, I think that was one of the rumours that started when that this whole link first happened was Kyogo especially. I think he was the one that a lot of tabloids immediately were like, well, Angie's going to look... Obviously, when any, when any manager joins a big team, the immediate thing is to start looking at who he can bring over that he knows to make that transition period a bit easier. And those three, definitely, but yeah, without knowing too much about Celtic, but seeing what I've read, Kyogo's the guy that seems to be popping up more than the other two. Yeah, and, um, you know, he can't, like you say, he's a bit of a hurricane, like that, I use that term again, a bit of a cyclone, a bit of a hurricane so- sort of player where he's just kind of, feels like he's everywhere at once. And, um, yeah, I, I actually think it's like a really ex- exciting time for Tottenham fans because, like, you, like, anything, I think anything is possible from a transfer situation within, you know, you know, the realms of possibility. Like, they're not going to get, you know, they're not just suddenly going to sign Mo Salah from Liverpool, for example, but there is... The, I'm really intrigued to see how Ange actually goes about, you know, building this squad and who he elects to keep from Tottenham as well, whether he can get something out of, like, Harry... You know, Harry Winks or Eric Dyer or, you know, like, whether Hugo Lloris, who's been captain for a while, whether he decides this is his stepping-off point, um, you know, they probably could do with... You know, I don't trust Christian Romero as a... As a uh, Tottenham centre back, uh, he he scares me, uh, and uh, not in the way that oh, if I'm playing Christian Romero, he scares me. In the way that you have to keep an eye on him, <laughs> do something stupid if he plays for your team. Um, yeah, there's you know I know Lucas Mara's on the way out, uh, but yeah, it just feels like like anything is really possible for Ange in terms of. Now, he's going to be working with a transfer budget, which, you know, I know Daniel Levy doesn't like to lose some of the purse strings, but he's still going to have more money than he had to work with at Celtic. Yeah, oh, de- absolutely. And I'm just looking at some of these other names that they've got on loan. Could I interest you in a Sergio Reguilon or a Tongi and Dombele, maybe reclamation project? I did see Ndombele uh, uh, wanted to come back to Spurs. I think he's like, I think he, I saw it came up on my Twitter the other day that he was interested in coming back. So that's, uh, you know, that's another one. Uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, is he still, is he on loan from Tottenham? He is a Villarreal. Yes. Again, like he's someone who, like, really intrigued to see whether, you know, he, if, you know, he factors into Ant's plans and, and if he does, then how is he going to utilise him and what role is he going to play? Speaking, I guess, more broadly now, um, kind of circle back a little bit when you made the point that when these Australian players and managers go to Europe, they're not really 
respected or they're kind of treated a little bit, you know, with dismissal just because Australia is not really known as a a footballing factory, a, a top-class nation in that sort of respect. But this signing, and we've had players in the Premier League before and nothing's really changed too much from a macro point of view, but a manager just feels slightly different because it's only, you know, there's only 20 jobs in the Premier League. You know, there's thousands of players or hundreds of players. I can't do the maths. I'm not great at maths. But there's 20 jobs and, you know, 5% of the Premier League is Australian now from a managerial point of view. And it just seems like to me that can open, it opens doors and changes perceptions, allowing these other guys to come through like, guys, like other managers prospectively. And we've seen guys go over there for like educational reasons, but it's never really led to anything more than just like cursory showing up at the training ground for a day just to observe some stuff. But this, this feels like a real landmark moment from a managerial point of view to not only the Premier League, but to other leagues in Europe as well. Yeah, and um, I mean, you just look at Leeds when Jesse Marsh was unveiled as a manager there, and, you know, the immediate jokes were, oh, look, Leeds have Ted Lasso as their coach. Like, there is a real snobbishness, you know, particularly in British football, uh, towards, you know, non-Europeans, unless they're, like, Brazilians and, uh, and Argentinians and may have, like, a extensive background in South America. But there's, like, a... You know, particularly of like Australian and African football, like particularly you know Asian. You know, Asian. I mean, like Son when he came over was you know Son is in his own way a trailblazer. Like you think back to like when he started at Tottenham, how many South Korean players were in you know the top divisions in Europe, and it was really not that many. And now it's just like far out. South Korea have one of the best kind of you know production pipelines into Europe. Uh, same with Japan as well. There's increasingly more and more Japanese players in Europe. And, you know, 10 years there wasn't that. So there is a stigma and I think it is breaking down. But as you say, from a managerial sense, like there can't be too many managers from Asia working in Europe at the moment. Like, um, you know, what Ange has done is just, you know, it's breathtaking, it's inspiring. And it's like, it's proof that his way does work. You know, he's very stubborn, you know, often to a fault, you know, tactically, but he's a man of his convictions and he will stick to his guns and it's got him all the way to one of the biggest clubs in the English Premier League. And that's, you know, that's super inspiring. And, um, and just, you know, the fact that he's, you know, he's done it his way at every stop, you know, the fact that he's kind of taken on, you know, a chat, you know, he was, under fire at Brisbane, just stuck to his guns, got a result. You know, under fire at Yokohama Maros, stuck to his guns, got a result. Under fire at the Socceroos, and, you know, it was a bit up and down, but, you know, I think you can put that more down to the fact that, you know, he had less time to work with the players. Celtic goes into the job under fire and still comes out, you know, smelling like roses. Like, he has the Midas touch, and maybe the Midas touch won't be enough in the English Premier League because it's a completely different job, and, you know, like we've seen with, uh, you know, the fact that Mourinho and Conte couldn't win anything at Tottenham is, you know, it, it is, you know, people say it's a bit of a poison chalice job, um, but it's the sort of job that Ange relishes. And, you know, the fact that he started his journey back at South Melbourne and his, was involved with, you know, Whittlesea Zebras and whatnot, it's just to think that he's even scaled the heights that no one else has. Like, if you'd said that 15 years ago, people would have, looked at you funny um yeah this bloke managing 
Um, Whittle sees Zebras. Yeah, whose last overseas job was a tiny second division Greek side. Yeah, like this guy at 15, he's getting managing a top six club. Yeah. And the fact he's, like, he's done it so successfully, and the fact that it's just, like, trophies have followed everywhere this guy's got it. I'm not saying that he's going to, that means he's going to be a success at Tottenham, but there is just something about him which is going to reinvigorate that club, um, at least in the short term. Like, long term, maybe he meets his ceiling and, you know, it ends in flames, but short term, he's going to breathe new life into that club. I have absolutely no doubt about it. And the fact that, you know, um, I kind of wrote about this today as well, but, you know, he has, you know, in his book, Changing the Game, he talks about how he, he thinks Australians should never take a step, you know, step back on the world stage. And they should try and play the best football possible. It doesn't matter who they're playing, if, whether they're playing Brazil or like Argentina or Spain or France. They should go out and try and attack because that's the way football is meant to be played. Um, and he is, um, you know, and he's done that at every single job. You know, the fact that he's this Australian who comes in and just wants to attack and doesn't care who he's playing. He's just going to try and, you know, beat them uh, at their own game. Um, there's something really inspiring about his kind of vision for Australian football coming true, but in the shape of him getting a job at like one of the world's biggest clubs. Yeah, and just to put into perspective how significant an achievement this actually is, so I'm going to trust that uh, Kevin Pollard has the right numbers here, but Ange becomes the 13th non-European to manage a top-flight club in England, but men's, obviously. The 13th out of, what, the Premier League's 30 years old now, give or take. And obviously the first from the Asian Confederation. It's just a wild, when you put it into that overall lens, it's just, yeah, to use my topic sentence, can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's inspiring. And that's something Ange is very good at doing. You know, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the video doing the social media rounds of him giving that, you know, lunchtime talk to the Socceroos a few years ago where he's talking about, you know, you're not just representing yourself, you're representing every person who ever believed in you when you walk out on that field. They're, along, they're on that field with you because they believed in you. It's just, um, you know, he has a way with words, you know, because he's so, he's so blunt, um, you know, with the way he talks, but it's like, like, it's this combination of bluntness and passion. And it's just, you know, it makes you want to run through walls for the guy. There's been a lot of speeches doing the rounds recently. <laughs> So I'm, I've caught a few of them. I don't know if I caught that one, but there's been a lot of Ange videos, especially that you know that one where he's addressing the the crowd at Celtic after they've won the league again. He's like, I, I'm a lucky man, or whatever he says, and it's just like, well, like these fans are just ready to jump off the top of the stadium for this man. Yeah, and that's you know that's as good as he he is you know tactically, and the fact that he has you know created this kind of style of play, which is, you know, you know an Ange team when you see it. I still think his biggest strength is man management, the, mo the ability to get most out of players. Like, you look at someone like a Thomas Broich, who he signed at Brisbane Raw, who was washed up, you know, thinking of retiring at, like, 30, 31, because he had all these injuries and, 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 and had kind of fallen out of love with the game. And Ange, you know, I believe, um, you know, if I'm remembering correctly from the A-League's book, uh, that was written a few years ago. Um, I think Ange like took a 17-hour like car journey just to meet Thomas Broich 
which can kind of convince Broish to sign. And then, you know, Broish came down under the rest of his history. Broish will go down as, you know, in my, I think he's the best player to ever play in the A-League. Um, you know, I know people, some people say it's uh, best side Borussia. I think Broish was just a better footballer than Borussia. I know he didn't have quite the longevity and impact that Borussia did from a stats point of view, but just from a pure aesthetic point of view, like I could watch Thomas Broish all day. And he, is in the, he was in the A-League because of Ange Postecoglou, because he convinced him to sign when he was, you know, considering retirement. And then he went on to play five, six years at Brisbane and had some of his, you know, and reinvigorated himself. And that's the Ange effect. He, you know, he has this way of getting the most out of you. Um, it's And you, you see it in the fans as well, like how passionate the Australian fans about him. You know, you, just, you see it with the Celtic fans, but like the fact that Australian fans have spent the last two years, you know, telling Celtic fans, hey, remember, we were right about this guy. That's what's wrong. Um, you know, and that's because out of this kind of like, you know, I don't want to say blind devotion, but this like, this love of Ange Postacoglu and what he, you know, represents about Australian, you know, football. Yeah, and not not to speak out of turn here, but when you bring all that emotion and intangible stuff into it, to, to me, Tottenham the last few years have seemed a little bit mechanical and a little bit robotic. And teams often take, and by extension fan bases, often take on the personalities of their managers. And we look at who Tottenham have had in charge the last few years. They have been clinical, cold teams. And I think, like, I'm just really repeating what you've said, but Ange is going to breathe that new life and there's always that new manager bump there's always that blind hope right even if you are kind of reticent to the actual appointment there's always still a small part of you that is just going to blindly hope against hope that it all works out but yeah Ange just seems like the kind of guy like it's just going to take one speech and there's going to be just a faction of Spurs fans at least that'll just be like right I'm all in on this guy and it just takes one and then a few more start converting and then a few more and a few more and then the results start coming and I'm etc etc but it just seems like this club could use a little bit of a little bit of emotion if that makes sense yeah they, you're 100% right um, I mean we saw with Arsenal this year I know everyone was quick to like laugh at Arsenal and it's like yeah but they almost beat Man City to the title like I know they faded quite dramatically at the end but it's like they were top for a long time like to be top ahead of this Manchester City team, which is winning at will, like, that's still an achievement. And, you know, you can see the, the effect that Arteta's had on the club. You know, it took him a while, but, you know, they stuck with him. And he's just, you know, the passion that Arsenal fans had, like, friends of mine who are Arsenal fans, who have been kind of, like, just kind of going about their support of the club last couple of years. Like, this season, they were, like, really up and about because of what Arteta had done. And that's the... You know, that's the beauty of having, uh, you know, a manager who is, you know, committed to attacking football. And because that's what you want, you know, as a football fan, you know, you want victories, but you also just want to be proud of the team. You also just want to enjoy watching them on an aesthetic level. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've kind of exhausted all my Ange chat, but I did want to briefly get your thoughts on the Socceroos squad to take on Argentina before we get out of here. Uh, yeah, it's... Um... Well, uh, only one WA boy in Alessandro Sacati. 
Uh, well, that's the big story, though. That is, yeah, the 19-year-old who played, I think it was 17 games in Serie B for Palmer, uh, which is really cool. Um, he's obviously a Perth Glory and Perth Soccer Club product uh, over in WA. His father played for a long time in Italy and spent, uh, I think, one season in Perth Glory, in, uh, at Perth Glory in the late 90s. So, uh, yeah, really, um, yeah, like, really cool to see him in there. Like, there's been a bit of tug of war between, you know, him, whether he wanted to be, you know, play for Australia, play for Italy. He played for Italy's under twenties uh, before, so there was, you know, a bit of a um, to and fro. But you know, I'm glad he's listened to his heart and decided to go with Australia. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't really. If he turned around and said, "I feel more Italian," I would have gone, "Yep, yeah, that's fair enough. You have dual citizenship. Like, um, you're in a, you, you were born in Australia, but you were, he obviously grew up in, um, you know." He grew up in Australia, born in Australia, but has, like, Italian parents. So no, he's born in Italy, to be fair. Oh, was he? Oh. He moved here when he was one. Oh, in that case, we don't want him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's born in Fidenza. And oh, because okay. I'm Italian, I know where that is. I don't. <laughs> uh, oh, it's near, it's it's in the Emilia-Romagna region, and I know where that is because there's a Grand Prix there. Yes. Some, sometimes. Yeah. I heard Emilia, yeah, not, not recently. Nah, the COVID year, there was one there. That's right. Yes, it was a um, another place for Max Verstappen to win, and me to question why I still watch Formula One on Sunday nights. I don't think he won. I think that was because not to get sidetracked, but that was the year that because Ricardo was still at. Um... Ricardo won Monza. Yeah, no, he wasn't McLaren. Yeah, he was at McLaren, but McLaren did well at all the tracks that weren't regular F one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, or was it Renault? Oh, I don't know. All the years have morphed into one. I can't remember yeah, anymore. Time is a flat circle. Exactly. Uh, anyway, Shikardi, Yeah, big story that he actually has. Yeah. Apparently committed to Australia. Yeah, and you know, good for him. I know it would have been a really tough decision, and um, you know, glad to have him on board. Uh, really cool to see Alex Robinson in the squad again. Um, you know, there's a lot of. I think a lot was made of the fact there's a lot of A League. You know, a lot of. Um, you know, players who are kind of resting from this game against Argentina to recharge their batteries. Uh, you know, like a like Jason Cummings isn't in the squad. Uh, yeah, but to be fair, you, you've seen what he's been up to. I, I think it's yeah. you know he probably wouldn't be in any fit state to play this game anyway. <laughs> oh, that's why. That's even more reason to take him. Just putting him on and just watch hungover Jason Cummings. Uh, you know, go about business and try and uh, get Messi's shirt on if off him by offering, offering to play golf with him or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a different sort of squad. Um, you know, the Perth uh, resident in me would have loved to have said, no, it's Grant Mayer just because he's been playing really well uh, by all, all reports um, in, in the K-League for Pohang. But, you know, given the amount of first-team players like Jackson, Irvine, Aaron Moy, Craig Goodwin... Uh, they're not playing, as is Bayich, is no one who's not playing. It was always going to be a bit of a more experimental squad. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, we're kind of going in with no expectation. Uh, and, yeah, that's kind of a cool place to be in, to see how it throws, throws some of them in the deep end, see if they sink or swim. At the end of the day, it's a friendly in China. Like, no one, unless we win, we will forget about this game in, like, three years' time. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, there's a few other guys future like Jordan Boss gets another chance. Yep. Uh Aiden returns, hasn't been seen since chucking a tantrum in the loss to Argentina by not being passed the ball by Quoll, who's also not there. Um 
yeah, Susar, Stensness, all these guys are just like, well, yeah, they're, it's a bit of an odd squad because I think they've also got to compete and think about the underage teams as well because I think yes. I, read a, I read a quote that uh, they were looking at guys like Triantis from Central Coast, but it's like, well, I'd love to get this guy into the squad, but at the same time, you know, Vidmar probably needs him for his squad more importantly at the moment. Yeah, so. correct. And, um, you know, they have the... Um... Uh, they have a training camp to prepare them for the Asian Cup, and the Asian Cup doubles as, like, Olympic qualifiers. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think... You know, so that's why there's no Marco Tilio in this squad. Uh, Triantis, as you said, he's in that squad. Jacob Farrell, who, like, is low-key, is low-key, like, the best Australian footballer who doesn't actually look like a footballer. He looks like a surfer. Um, <laughs> he just looks so skinny, and, like, when he had long hair, he just looked like a surfer, like, peak coasty boy. Um, but he's... He's every time I watch him at A League level, he just impresses me without like blowing the doors off. Like he's just always so consistently like good and um, yeah. Like uh, he's in that Ollie Roos squad. Uh, there's a few others, but I assume Cam Perpion's in there. Uh, yes, Cam Perpion. Uh, I've been calling him Pupion, but uh, let's go with Perpion because it sounds better. Uh, I, I have no idea. I'm happy to defer to you. I I just I took a stab. Perpion sounds more French and I think it's a French so yeah Pupion sounds like you're shooting lasers yeah <laughs> it sounds like an Australian trying to speak French uh, <laughs> yeah Pepe Le Pew <laughs> yeah um, so there's a bit of quality in that kind of like squad you know I'm kind of surprised in a way that Geordie Boss isn't in that squad because it's too um, good I, I guess but you know with no as is Bayich um, Arnold's just kind of throwing the keys to him and going hey uh, you might line up against Lionel Messi Go nuts, kid. Because uh, Jordy Boss is very, very good, and I'm actually really looking forward to seeing him against Argentina. Yeah, so where's Garang at the moment? Uh, oh, he's, he's there. Sorry, he's in the... I, I was reading the squad as I was asking that question. I didn't see his name. He's there. In the Oliru's squad. Perfect. Good for him. Because, yeah, I was asking... I don't see Garang Qual in this Oliru squad as I'm scrolling down. He's literally the last name there. So, <laughs> um, And then just quickly couple of reports about two guys who may or may not play for the soccer is obviously I know we've spoken here before about Christian Volpato there's been I guess more of the nothing updates like yeah still thinking about it maybe maybe not like Arnie's going to travel to Europe in August after these friendlies and you know meet up with his people and go from there whatever but the other guy is Mohamed Toure who is part of about a family of 17,000 that have all played for Adelaide United at some point in the last five years, but he's doing his thing over in, I want to say, France. Yeah, France sounds right. Um, tug of war between Australia and Guinea. Um, but yeah, he's doing really well over there, so that's another another talented young forward to keep an eye on. You know, I think I saw a tweet earlier today, uh, Daniel Garb uh, reporting that Christian Volpato was leaning more towards Australia, which is a good sign. For the national team, um, you know, like I said with Sir it's a, always going to be a very difficult decision, uh, you know, for, for these guys who have like dual heritage, and you know, it'll be a difficult decision for Motore as well, who, you know, I kind of forget has been kind of playing pretty, you know, not too badly in France. Uh, you know, it looks like he has eight goals in fourteen appearances uh, in the uh, in the national two league for Stade uh, Stade, Stade de Reims. I apologise to all, uh, all your French listeners for. Completely butchering that. 
We butchered Perpion, Pupion, we're gonna butcher Reams, Rem, Rem, I don't know. This is not a, this is not a good episode for your, uh, for your listeners from France, uh, they will uh, be... The Francophiles uh, will be out in force. They, yeah, I mean, I mean, you can, I mean, look, it's France, they might surrender, who knows? At least uh, you're saying France and not France like me, so... France, France. I'm just trying to sound cultured because I butchered, uh, Stade de Reim and, uh, Camp Perpion's name, so uh, again, yeah, we don't know uh, that, but <laughs> the French are probably like listening to this and going, It's not pronounced either of those ways, you <laughs> get it so wrong. It's but Cameron, you idiot, you uncultured swines. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, look, a bit like you, Toro was a bit out of sight, out of mind for me, but. Obviously, he's coming back into the fray now since he... I didn't realize he was so young. He's still only 19, like barely 19. So, obviously, we'll see how he goes in France at, at Reims. Reims. At that club that he's currently at. Um, but, yeah, look, anytime you can get a young, talented guy like that to commit for you, uh, there's no real downside so we'll just we'll just wait and see with that one and then yeah like i've said Volpato, nothing really new has changed there yeah cool yeah um absolutely uh you know i i hope we get a Volpato kind of i just hope we get a bit more kind of news out of him i feel like he's kind of maybe feels like he's maybe lost his way at roma uh so yeah it would be good to just have some sort of a uh a good news update from Volpato and, you know, uh, I do hope he pulls on the green and gold one day. Uh, you know, I thought some of the uh, criticism of him for not going to World Cup was pretty harsh and pretty, you know, narrow and not really... Uh, it's a pretty complex issue for him and, yeah, you know, I just hope he just makes up his mind and, uh, you know, he's comfortable with it. Yeah, criticism of him not going to the World Cup was a bit off-base. Criticism of him being a child on social media again like what are we doing here like let he who has not sent a dodgy snapchat cast the first stone um yeah like I, I was never off i was never off him like how some people were so i i was always pulling for him and hoping that he would you know come around that it would get to even this level of d discussion so you know it's all it's all good news as far as i'm concerned other than that I think we're done here. Do you have anything to promote from the good people of Western Australia? Uh, I did write a, uh, a an analysis on, you know, why I think Ange might be a good uh, move for Tottenham and, you know, kind of touching on a lot of the things I mentioned today. But, you know, he's done it his way. Um, you know, so that's up on the westaustralian.com. Uh, go check it out. Uh, and uh, that's basically all I've got to promote right now. The... You know, but stay tuned. We'll ha I'll have a lot of Women's World Cup content coming up over the next uh, couple of months, and that should be, uh, you know, should continue the trend of good things happening in Australian football because, uh, yeah, uh, Lord knows we need that after the uh, A-League seasons we've just had. Yeah. Uh, look, a 6-1 grand final. We'll just get Sam Kerr off the back of the yet another league title with the, the best club in London. Yeah, charging forward, leading Australia to a World Cup final win against, uh, who cares, just as long as they win, it's all fine. 
Absolutely. Um, and yeah, um, Sam Kerr, proud West Australian. Just oh my god. Know, we uh, yeah, should, we don't we don't talk about that enough. I feel. <laughs> no, no, you're right. It's just I, I, you, you don't know where she's from because it's just so under wraps. It's not. It's like every time there's a headline, it's like uh, West Aussie Sam Kerr or Perth Zone Sam Kerr or. You know, I'm speaking from the point of not the Western Australian media because that is all I seem to see whenever there's an article about Sam Kerr. But not that I'm complaining. Got to get those clicks up, mate. Got to, uh, <laughs> does does it generate clicks? I guess it would. Oh, it does. You'd be you see people see Perth and just click on it like eh, like a caveman. Just oh Perth, oh, I better read this. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, knowing what I know about specifically the NBL and how feral Perth are about Perth, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there is a. Uh... A feverish passion for the sports teams here, um, and then a lot of apathy when it comes to the glory, unfortunately. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, thank you for coming on as always. You are now the resident Australian football expert in the Beyond the Fence media family. I don't know, that's a pretty big honour. I don't know how you feel about that. Is there, is there anyone else? Am I one of one, or is it just... Uh, no, you're not, but, well... Uh... We've had Matt Bungard on before as well. I say we, me. It's one person. Um, but he's only been on two or three times, and you. this is your fourth. So I think you're... Oh, I'm going to go uh, message Bungard and make fun of him now, and he'll be like, why should I care about this? And I'll be like, you've got a good point. Well, whatever you do is in your spare time is your business. Yeah. Um, but other than that, thank you for coming on the show, Ben, and thank you to all of you for listening uh, beyondthefence.com.au for more written stuff uh, follow the podcast on Twitter find it on Spotify Apple SoundCloud Stitcher Google other places I'm sure that have bootlegged it uh, leave a rating if you really enjoy it other than that thank you for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>